I was a kid, I laid awake at night and heard the sounds of trains. There's a lot of things I didn't understand. A lot of things I'd do different if I could. I don't want to be criticized. Nobody takes me serious here. Like you? Who in the hell says I gotta like let go of this? How can I let go of this? It's who I am. It's all I know. I wish they froze me in a block of ice till it was my time when I was ready to make my move. Before I started doing this acting stuff, I was afraid to get up in front of me. I didn't go to the moon. I went much further. Right now, what kind of theater does this country need? How about a theater with black and brown actors who had been convicted of serious crimes and had spent years in prison? Actors who want a chance in a society that has no time for them. Actors who ache for change. You know, that kind of a theater. For the last decade, Richard Holder has taught acting at Otisville State Prison and has formed a company of formerly incarcerated men studying the art of acting at HB Studio. Prison Monologues is a podcast that reveals the actor and his story. I didn't go to the moon. I went much further. I am Alan Winson with my co-host and master acting teacher, Richard Holder, and this is Prison Monologues. Our guest actor today is Charles Grasso. I met Charles when I was teaching a college film class at Otisville Medium Security Prison. I immediately liked this man. He was generous to the other students, smart, honest, and present, mature in his writing with complex and challenging ideas, certainly challenging to my liberal stances. And did I mention Charles is smart? At the end of the semester, I told him that I hoped his 40-plus-year sentence would end soon, and that when it did, I wanted to buy him a beer. When he received his parole, COVID hit, and so we've had to put off that date. Welcome, Charles Grasso. Great pleasure to have you on Prison Monologues. You um, are now in Albany, New York. Uh, so uh, yes. I'm, I'm, I was kind of disappointed that you chose Albany. I was hoping you'd choose Manhattan so I could uh, we could kind of like hang a bit. But you're in Albany. Why are you in Albany? Well, I'm with my wife now in Albany. And I travel. I just came back from Staten Island uh, last week. I, we, we travel. I travel back and forth. So it's not like, but it was kind of good for me to get over here because it was less, it was less to, of an adjustment period for me right. uh, in here. And um, I kind of, I got a very good parole officer that he gives me, I can go anywhere. I can, I, all I can't go is leave the country. But you get to yeah. travel. Yeah, no, yeah, no, I got my license. I drive and everything already. I, I drove, I've been driving. Okay. Okay. All right. Who's that on your shoulder there, Charles? There's a woman on your uh, shoulder. I, I really don't know. To be honest with you, my can daughter's I... underneath her. The other side is even better. <laughs> the other arm. The other arm tells my story. That's all done in prison, by the way. We usually start these things uh, with the actor. He's got a very short little monologue that he's working on in class right now. Mr. Prince from Rocket to the Moon by Clifford Odets. And it's very short, but he does it really, really well. So this is uh, the character of Mr. Prince from Clifford Odets play Rocket to the Moon. And uh, it's a little known play. It's in the first collection of all his big plays like Waiting for Lefty and Wake and Sing, Paradise Lost, Golden Boy. But this is a play that, you know, not too many people do, but it's a really kind of 
interesting character. And Charlie's working on just a little section of this in acting class right now. And he's bringing something to it that I've never seen before in the character. So that's kind of nice. Man in the fullness of his life speaks to you. I didn't come here to make you unhappy. I came here to make myself happy. You don't like it? I can understand that. Circumstances insulted me enough in my life. But your insults, I do not need. And I don't apologize to no man because I try to take happiness by the throat. Remember, Dr. Benny, I want what I want. There are seven fundamental words in life. And one of these is love. And I didn't have it. That's my man, Prince. There you go. Talking to Dr. Benny. Let's talk a little bit about that. You, um had you know many years of unhappiness and now you are working on making yourself happy or have you always tried to make yourself happy throughout your life i'm, I'm trying to refer back I, to this monologue i think i haven't spent i mean i've been through the gauntlet i've been through it all i mean in prison it wasn't like you know what are you doing 40 years are you happy in 40 years i don't think so and um i think that 25 of those years I think I was happy, not exactly 25 of those years, but uh, at least two decades. I mean, I had, I went through having a heroin habit. I had a heroin habit in prison. I was messed up. And uh, it's funny how I got into theater was, I was in Sing Sing and I was looking to, my connection was on a, was on a PK hole. He was getting ready to go on a draft. And he was my, he was my Graham connection. He was the guy that I used to get the Grams real cheap. And he was getting ready to get transferred. So I remember I was not feeling too good. I was kind of, you know, it's like when you're kicking, it's like a, it's like, it's a yawn that doesn't want to go away. So that's why a lot of people jump in the shower and take a lot of showers and that kind of helps a little bit, but it's something that's pretty bad. And and you can't go to no methadone clinic or nothing like that. So you're looking to to cop some. So I remember going to the, the chapel and a black guy approached me. He was in the RTA group, a theater group there. And he says, yo, Charlie, we need a white guy for a play coming up. I says, yeah, 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 put me down, put me down. So I didn't I didn't pay no mind to it. I wound up copping something. I went back. I was feeling pretty good. And about two weeks later, I had a call out to go to this RTA interview. Mm. And I was like saying, oh, my God, what is this? I got to go to this call out. I'm looking to get go to the yard and get high. But then. I said, let me go down and maybe I can find something in the school building. So I went to the school building and um, I was introduced to this lady, Linda Atkins and a guy, Richard Moeller. And they were interviewing three other guys with me. They said, Charles, we want you to be a tree in a desolated area. So I'm looking at these two kooks. I'm saying to myself, I got to get the fuck out of here. I can't stay here. <laughs> you know? So I'm kicking. I'm not feeling good. I'm sick. So I don't know, I did some contortions like a tree in a desolated area and my eyes were tearing, but I wasn't crying. Your eyes tear when you're, when you're, when you're uh, coming down from the, from the heroin. And she turns to Randy and says, look, Randy, he's crying. He's good. Sign him up. Huh. And that's how I got my first chance in theater. And um, it's a true story. But uh, for, I never looked back from there. And then you know what? I stopped getting high. I stopped getting high from just the fact that when I went to my first theater session, it was just similar to the same. I mean, it was like, it was like I can't explain it because the programs they got in prison, I mean, <laughs> nothing like theater. Theater, when any of the volunteers that come into, the, into prison to teach you theater, 
they are really so sincere and so loving that they really want to be a part and, and get you to really find out about yourself. I mean, what better way for rehabilitation than finding out about yourself? And through theater, when you take on roles and you become other people, uh, you really look you look at the world differently. It's its amazing, and especially in a in prison. So you look forward to coming to that classroom. I remember in Otisville with Richard, here I am in a medium prison. I'm in a dorm, first time after 39 years. Now I'm in a dorm. But when I, when I, um, I, I had to adjust because I want, I know I'm getting close to a, a possibility of going home. And to be honest with you, I never thought I was going to go home, but um, I was home in theater. I was home in that uh, classroom 105. That was my home. And um, you were, you could ever, you can, you can let yourself go. You can really expand yourself and uh, really come to grips with yourself and really find out about your behaviors that put you in prison in the first place. And, you know, I was in theater first before I got into John Jay. So, I mean, everything fell into place one after the other, but I, I think if I didn't have theater or some type of theater workshop in my life, I don't know if I would have been sitting here talking to you right now. Charles, do you feel that theater would be positive for most men in prison? I think people that have spent 20 or more years or maybe 15 or more years in prison, they're left behind. And when you have volunteers coming into the prison like Richard, who is bringing you into this family, it's like uh, you're not, you don't feel like you're left behind. You know, you feel like, you know what, I can, I can be a part of this, this group. And we, we get a bond together. We support one another. Because when one guy misses a line, we all miss a line. And uh, you want everybody to do good. It's something like you want in a regular, a normal family. You want everybody in that family to be good and do good and make and achieve what their goals. And that's what the theater group does. And Richard, one thing with him, he never, he never showed no type of favoritism or nothing. He and believe me, he tolerated a lot of uh, guys that I wouldn't, and most guys wouldn't. But that's not me to call that. Because my, you know, I I seen people a little differently, but he saw people that and the good in people, and more than likely he prevailed over me in my thoughts. You know, he 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 had no uh, his lenses were more cleaner than mine. My lenses were kind of filtered, uh, dirty. His his lenses weren't. So he seen all of us as a chance to rehabilitate and makes put something in our life that we didn't have, and even if it was a medium prison. There's a lot of things. I mean, it's it's not. I don't want to come and, and, and shoot because I take self responsibility and and I know if I'm going to change. And I was in your classroom, uh, professor, and you know how I reacted in, in that classroom. There's a lot of things I did not agree with, but I didn't. I showed a little empathy. I showed a little caring concern because I seen what my what my what I was up against. Um, I'm an older gen- generation. We're all in a different generation. But um, we still have to show empathy and patience. And that's something that I didn't have. I, and I'm working on still having patience. I, you know, if I haven't held a cell phone in my life until uh, August of uh, 2020. And now I'm on a computer and I got an iPad. And, you know, it's frustrating because I don't know what the heck is going on. 
And uh, I, my wife, I drove her crazy because we're getting all these bills <laughs> on a monthly statement about this. Did you buy that? I don't know. <laughs> you know? And uh, it's it, it's just crazy. So I'm getting used to it now. I don't use the, I don't order nothing no more. I kind of know what I'm doing, but this is a whole different world, man. I, 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 I'm 40 years ago. I mean, you know, I came to jail in uh, October of 1980 and I, I was released August of 2020. I mean, God bless Richard and volunteers and you professors that come into the prison. You know, it's not like you work for docs. You don't work for docs. You are real. Docs is not real. Docs is, uh, you don't have to uh, attend classes. You will still, you know, be satisfied. You know, or they got this facility need. They'll put you in a place. Uh, you might have a, a bachelor's degree and you could tutor people in school, but they need to have the, the dishes washed in the mess hall, facility need, and they'll put you in there. I mean, it's crazy. It's not, it's not a, it's not really, and people don't really, really know about what goes on in there. And I am not going to put everything bad in prison because a lot of us, we have to take responsibility of us on our own. So a guy like me who takes responsibility on our own, we seek people like you and Richard. We seek that type of help. And if it's, a, it's an opportunity, we're going to go for it because I'm not going to rely on the Department of Corrections to rehabilitate me. I have to re rehabilitate myself. Charles, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to interject here. When, when Richard and I decided that we wanted to talk to you, and I've been wanting to talk to you for a while, one of the things we said is we don't have to worry about Charles talking. <laughs> <laughs> that's, what my, that's what the parole hearing did. I had 45 minutes and I spoke for 40 <laughs> Richard, could you say something about Charles's sense that theater is a family? I mean, do you do you see theater that way? Very much so. I mean, when I remember the first theater experience I had, I didn't have a very very happy childhood in family life, and it was a lot of chaos and violence and a lot of crazy stuff. And I walked into this room, and all these people were working together. They were painting flats, you know, for the play, and they said, "We need help," and I joined in there and then I, before I knew what I was in one of the plays and and I did have for the first time in my life a sense of real family of real belonging of people as Charlie's put it so well people wanting each other to do well as opposed to competing with each other and trying to beat the you know get on top that's something that I love about theater and and it and so that's something when I do theater or create theater groups or whatever that's that's at the heart of it it's like you are now part of this family and that's why it's so hard for me when I do lose guys or guys stray or whatever. It's and and then Charlie says I put up with some shit sometimes that that is you know I have to like my thing is I got to learn to let go sometimes because sometimes people aren't ready. You know what I mean? Yeah. But for the most time, I think it's it's good to hang in there. You know, I always talk about we had Chris Lee on uh, a while ago, and you know. I don't know if he told that story, but I mean, but he once left the workshop and then came back two years later and and uh, and I said, all right, get in, get in the circle. You know what I mean? And like, it, it, it's, I think people, I mean, need a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance sometimes. And I'm willing to give that, you know, and after a while, you know, you get kicked enough, you say, okay, enough. But I think it's okay to take a, take a couple of kicks because a lot of the men that I know I work with are coming from backgrounds that I can't even imagine. You know, I think I had a lousy childhood. Jesus, it was probably a Sunnybrook farm compared to some of the other guys what they went through theater you know? is really a unique thing i mean it does stuff i mean whether or not you're doing a professional level stuff or you're just trying to create something as a group it's uh it's a real thing 
Charles, you wrote uh, to us that being in prison, quote, did not change me, it made me. I think it's a very interesting, and I've heard that from a number of the interviews, that prison actually, though it was an awful place, it actually taught you something or it made you who you are right now sitting in that chair in Albany. Uh, can, can you talk about that prison as this experience that made Charles who he is now? Well, Bob Marley said it best. <laughs> you never know how strong you are until being strong is your only choice. Hmm. And coming to prison, I mean, forget about the five-minute fights in the back of the gallery to prove yourself. It just, it, when it made me, it made me look at others in a sense of different backgrounds. I mean, I was in, I've been in prison, mostly minorities, Hispanic and Blacks are there, and, and I, I consider them all my brothers. I wasn't considering them my brothers before I came to prison. And um, we, we grew a bond in prison because we're all wearing green. And um, it made me the person I am today because I was living in, I'm a, I'm like a grew up, grew up in the 70s. And if you want to talk about a, a good fella type person, you know, the knock around guy, that's what I was. But it was so, it wasn't really, it wasn't real. You know, it wasn't real at all. I was living in a fantasy. And um, this made me who I am right now. You know, I, I, well, I, I wouldn't have been right now if it wasn't for what I've been through. And I'm definitely, I got a lot to go by, but I, I know I need to, um, we were talking before we came on about the post-traumatic stress from being in prison for 40 years. I really have to entertain that area because today in class, I seen a, a clip of um, Otisville stage and I really got emotional because I seen, I seen the guys that I know and um, how they felt and, break, and broke down on stage that particular piece was a really brilliant piece. It really spoke about what goes on in prison. And I think that was one of Rich's earliest pieces. But um, yeah, it made, it made, like it made me, it made all of them guys in, uh, sitting in that, on that stage too. That's what I mean when I say it made me. Yeah. Uh, and yet you say Docs is not real. And so you were in this unreal place that was able to have a, if I can say it, a positive effect on who you were, was there any other way that you could have gotten to this place of fullness that you are now without going to prison? Was prison the only way forward for you? Well, if I had some type of uh, good guidance before I came to prison, I mean, I grew up not knowing my father. I never met him really. I met him a couple of times when I was young. And I always looked for him to turn the corner at the schoolyard to pick me up from school. I think if I had a, a, a big brother or a father figure that that looked for looked at my talents or what I can definitely become, I think that would have made a difference. But I didn't have that, and unfortunately, I, I got it in prison. And there's a lot of us that didn't have it, and then they got it in prison. I mean, you 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 meet some of the most blessful people in prison, and especially volunteers that come into prison because who the heck would want to come into a prison? I mean, and, and what people would think, what person in their right mind would want to come to a prison? Well, uh, those are those are godsends that come to prison. Each and every one of you that come to prison. You don't work for docs. You work for the soul. And uh, mm -hmm. you want to make a better a better environment through your work. And that's why you do it. 
I mean, it's not like it's it's a no brainer to me. I mean, I I, I can see when someone is disingenuous, and uh, I don't see that with between the you guys that I'm I'm seeing now in this podcast. But uh, it's the volunteers that 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 help reentry into society. It's not docs. Docs does not help. It's you guys. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I I appreciate you including me in in that group. I um, personally I. I did not find it easy to uh, teach the class. If I were to do it again, I would do it entirely differently. I learned, I learned a lot. Um, and um, the thing that I learned was, and here's, I, I'll ask you because I haven't asked anyone else about that, but I think you may be able to address this, is that um, my class at John Jay is one thing, right? Those students are one thing. Their experiences are one thing. You, your experience and the guys that you were with while you were in prison, those experiences are something, I think, entirely different. It's like we live in two different worlds. Um, is that true? And how are they, how are they different? Because you've, you've now been in both worlds. In your early life, you were in, out here, then you were in there, now you're out here again. What's, what's the major difference between that, between those two worlds? <sighs> I think today I can say it in one word sucks because it's a it's everybody's on their phones. There's no more interaction with one another. There's no more bonding. I mean you can you think Facebook is bonding, then then you really don't know what bonding is. Um I I I'm I'm kinda lost with this because coming out to COVID. It's like uh, wearing a mask and uh, it's like you're still in prison and working in a homeless shelter. I look back at what I've been through and I say, I did a better life than these people in the street. I never seen so much sadness in the world until I came home. (laughs) I didn't see the sadness inside. I seen some a different mindset. Yeah, there was uh, some drama and stuff. You had to be prepared. You had to, you got to, you got to make sure that whenever you go into an area, you know who's in that area because you don't want nothing in your back. But that's nothing compared to living your life out of a bag and looking for a meal and having a sign you want a couple of dollars or give me something. I never seen that. I never witnessed that. I mean, there was homeless people before I came to jail, but not in the droves and the magnitude that I see today. I mean, it's, it's, it's bizarre. And then the buildings, every other building got an X on it. It's condemned. Where's government? Government has failed us. You know, we need, we need a, a, we definitely need a third party in this country. There's no question about that. We need a people's party. We need a party that, that deals with class of people and stop using race to divide us. And that's what we really need. And that's what I'm pushing for. And I, and I and I, I I'm like, I'm getting shirts made up. By the way, Richard, it says, uh, "Stop using race to divide us. Stop using start using class to unite us. We're all in this together." And I think that that message is gonna gonna go somewhere because uh, I'm tired about hearing about freaking. And, and you know what? Like I was talking to the professor earlier about um, W. E. D. Du Bois about uh, the double consciousness. That's a book that every white person should read. And I think it'll give you an understanding of what 
African-Americans went through in this country. If we're going to be all American. We got to start looking at the other side that really went through a different life, that had, had a, a double tunis, right, as he spoke. And until you do that, I think you're going to be a, a better person. Any white guy or any, any white woman should read that and get to understand the plight of the African-Americans in this country. And when I started and when I went to Clinton, how they promoted, you know, when you went to the mess hall, whites went to the left and blacks went to the right. They didn't want us even sitting together in, inside a cafeteria. So uh, they're so far behind. And, and as far as like with the genders and, 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 and gay people and stuff in jail, I used to be an advocate for, for gay people in jail because I didn't want no one taking advantage of anybody. And um, you have guys that... Uh, they just couldn't couldn't deal with the fact that this person was a gay or something. But this person has a family and has sisters and brothers and mothers and fathers, and he deserves to get on that phone and speak on that phone. And he has a right to get his chicken, not give him an alternate, you know. So there's a lot of stuff, and they're really like they're like 20 years behind, or even more in prison when it comes to that. And I believe that's because of the gods. See, the gods will will do the right thing for you if you think like them, and a lot of people start thinking like uh, like the gods and if a guy has a, a sex crime or the guy was a pedophile or, and rather than you know they want you to abuse these people I didn't I didn't bite I that didn't that didn't uh, that didn't come with me because I look at you know they were humans they did a mistake they made who am I to judge you know I was I was locked up for a double homicide I'm gonna look at somebody who supposedly did this supposedly did that I'm not I'm not I'm not feeling that but the gods uh set a tone in prison so if you want to get that shower if you want to get that extra food you better uh, tap dance to them and uh, that was something in prison that they shouldn't put people like that to work in prison they should really go through a whole psychological background before they put you working in a prison would you say all the guards were like that or most of them or was there I would a certain say, group i would say 75 percent yeah wow rich is there anything you'd like to ask charles Charles alluded to the, the we, today we had a class. I'm teaching a criminal justice in the theater class at John Jay, and Charlie is in my class. Oh, great! And and it is like, in some ways, it's crazy. It's like having a live encyclopedia in the class. But today it crossed over the line because I showed this uh, video of uh, work that was done at Otisville, and when I watched it, I became emotional, and Charlie became emotional. But but then we were able to show that emotion to these kids. And they got something today, I don't think that nobody could have ever lectured to them or had them read anything. They got to experience, I mean, a lot of them, you know, were responding to Charlie's response to, to the video. Do you know what I mean? It was really, and I don't know, I was gonna just ask you, Charlie, about, uh, about that. I mean, like, like, but I think it's kind of a, you know, at first I was, when you were in the class, I was wondering what it's gonna be like being the only, you know, student that's, you know, much older than students are like that. Like, you know, do you feel strange or anything else? But I don't even, I, it's a question I even need to ask you, but, but, but I guess, how does it feel to be with these, with these kids? And, and how do you, how do you feel received by them? Oh, I, I, I feel like, well, I feel like I was, I'm doing the uh, youth assistant program, the app program in prison because they're so much younger. You know, we had the 15 and 16 year olds coming in there, but I, I feel I'm accepted. There's no question about that. I feel that they they feel they can't believe I did 40 years, but um, I can't believe how many of them are, are sad and, and take medication and stuff. And 
because of this covert uh, abuse that they suffered as one girl in our class was attempted suicide. I mean, it, it's a, uh, it's a, uh, you know, in, in my, our generation, Richard, right. You get, you, you act this strange. You got a crack in the back of the head, right. If you were daydreaming, you got a crack, right. You, there was no H H D D whatever that is, or H H D whatever the heck they, the H, medication. Yeah. They ADHD. Yeah. yeah. We didn't have that. We got the crack in the back of the head, but I think the, uh, we all suffered silently at one point uh, throughout our youth and growing up. And we're, we are 53 babies. So it's like, not like, you know, we've been through the same steps, the same uh, current events as we saw it. The Beatles, the Rolling Stones, the Martin Luther King, the Bobby Kennedy, everything happened. We were there, you know, we, we lived through that. But um, there was no social media back then, but we still got the message through parks and hitchhiking and doing all these things, right? We got around. Uh, no, I appreciate them. I appreciate them accepting me. And I seen it today. I didn't think I was going to react the way I did, but it just came up and I, I couldn't help it. You know. Can we put it in context? What, what was it that you were watching? Um, oh, Richard, yeah, it, it, it's a clip that I, I, it's a kind of a rough, roughly put together clip, but I keep using it because apparently people find it even in its roughness works. It is just a kind of a document that talks about the theater program at Otisville and there's clips from scenes and then there's clips from guys speaking at the talk back where they talk about what this experience has meant to them and many of them break down. There's, the, you, you get a sense that everybody is a tight, tight group and um, and it's inter interposed with you know information about like you know when this started what we do in class just brief little things that you read from time to time, but it really is uh, it's it's what opened the doors for a lot of the the funding that we've got for the outside class. It I I can it, it continues to be a powerful document and like I I now like you know there's a whole thing about having it be really slick and stuff. I'm finding that sometimes these rough documents are much more effective because they also show what you're up against inside doing work inside. You don't have all the equipment. You don't have all the people to run the equipment. You know what I mean? So it is rough, but like that adds to the experience of what, how we manage. Cause I, I break down every time I see it because I'm amazed that we, we, Charlie can tell you the, the roadblocks, the things they put in front of you, the challenges, the men that you lose two days before the show and you have to replace them with somebody else and, and they don't care. Docs does not, they're like, sorry. They don't even say sorry, just that's it, done. Get somebody else, you know? Yeah. And this is when the men in the group come, they are the ones that save the day and come through and, and you know. So it is, um, looking at it, I, 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 I too got very, very emotional. And it was, like I said, it was, a, it was an amazing class today because I just know that there, there are certain things that can happen in a class sometimes that's beyond any kind of prep that you do or any kind of plan, lesson plan that you have. It's like something happened today that, that affected them deeply. And wow. that, I mean, to me, the class is a success and we only have done three weeks wow. and it's like, they already got what they, they got something today that they understand that they didn't know before, yeah. you know, give them three credits. And, and they probably wouldn't have got it if Charles <laughs> wasn't there. Well, yes, that was absolutely an essential part of it because they were very moved by the video. But like I said, they were moved by how moved Charlie was, 
you know what I mean? And and he was speaking to them directly. He was not telling them, you know, I can tell them what I what it's like. And I, I do go into the prison and work, but I'm not in the prison. So I don't know what the hell I'm talking about when it comes to that. But Charlie does know what he's talking about. I think at this point we should, um, I was going to say we have a monologue right now, but I think we're ready to me to ask this question. Tell us, Charles, about the work that you're doing now as a peer counselor at the Interfaith Partnership for the Homeless in Albany. I am actually changing uh, my coworkers' attitudes. When I got there, I mean, they get they get fed. They come in. They got a place to stay. This is not open during the daytime. It's at nighttime. So they come in actually at 430. And these and are men and women of men all and ages? Women. Men and women. Uh, the latest one we got was this girl who just came out of rehab in, in, in uh, Utica, New York. And she's suicidal, so we had her in the room right next to the desk. And she's a hell of a oh, Rich, she's a hell of a writer. She's a poet. She wrote stuff about Crystal, which was the Crystal Met she was referring to, that ruined her life. And uh, she's only 24 years old. And um, you know, I encouraged her about. um, And this was Sunday night when we had the class, so I was there in her room. She heard our, she heard the the class acting out, you know, and. Put it this way, before I got there, you have a few coworkers that when they feed them and then they put stuff on the side for them. Here I come where I'm feeding them and I'm yelling seconds because I wanna feed them all the food. I don't wanna throw nothing out. And uh, they'll take some food. So at nine o'clock is the cutoff time to use the microwave. I'm there till 1230 at night. I'll use the microwave a quarter to 12. You know what I mean? We'll heat up. You got food. I'm heating up for you. So I brought a different a different thing from being inside and being oppressed inside. I'm not going to deprive these people of nothing. And they're like children, some of them. But I understand they they're it's it's not to they live it. Their whole world is in a bag. The whole world is in a bag. And they look for a place to stay and a place they could wash. I go down there and run the machines to wash the clothes, give them towels. I my wife goes through clothes that she don't use. I bring clothes there. I bring socks, you know, things of necessity, gloves. So I do all that on my own, you know, and this is what I want to do, you know. This is what this needs to be done. If we're supposed to be American and the humans, we, this is what we need to do. You sound, you sound like, a, like an Italian grandmother, Manja. Yeah, Manja, really. Believe <laughs> you know, really. They got to eat. They got to eat, you know. Charles, God, God bless you for the work you're doing and, and what you've learned over the years and how you've come up with a, a blessed life at, at yeah. this point. Do you see yourself that way? Oh, I see great things coming down the road, no question about it, but I'm, I want to give back. Whatever I get, I'm giving back half. That's the way I feel. I'm not, a, I'm not one. I don't never worried about money. I don't worry about stuff. I got a roof over my head. I'm thankful. And, uh, you know, things are, things are going to be better. Consider it done. I already know. Great. It, things are going to get better. Um, yeah, I, 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 I already know. Can you do another monologue for us? I got something here that I got. It's called Something Desired. I'm not going to read the whole, the whole part, but I'm going to read some of it. I, I kind of like it. It speaks of me. It says, go calmly amid the noise and the haste and remember what peace there may be in silence. As far as possible, without surrender, be on good terms with all persons. Speak your truth quietly and clearly and listen to others, even to the dull and the ignorant, 
they too have their story. Avoid loud and aggressive persons. They are annoying to the spirit. If you compare yourself with others, you may become vain or bitter. For always there will be greater and lesser persons than yourself. Enjoy your achievements as well as your plans. You are a child of the universe, no less than the trees and the stars. You have a right to be here. And whether or not it is clear to you, no doubt the universe is unfolding as it should. Therefore, be at peace with God, whether you conceive him to be. And whatever your labors and aspirations in the noisy confusions of life, keep peace in your soul. With all its sham, drudgery, and broken dreams, it is still a beautiful world. Be cheerful. Strive to be happy. That's uh, something desired. What is your wife's name? Sandra. Sandra. I want I want I want all all of us Rich and Sandra and you and I and my wife all all to get together to mm -hmm. for for dinner. I I I I I yearn to be with you again, Charles. Yeah. You're a great you're you're a great guy and I I'm I'm lucky that I met you at Otisville Medium Security Prison. Uh, yep. Yep. Yeah, that that definitely could be arranged. That's not a problem. My wife is a sweetheart. She's uh she's uh was a big Bernie Sanders supporter. Oh, okay. For Bernie Sanders, her mind is uh, you know, why do people got to be so mean? And look, she stuck with me. <laughs> 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 you know, but uh, nah, she's a sweetheart, man. She's got a good heart, and uh, you would love her. Trust me. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to, uh, to to getting together. Charles Grasso, thank you so much for joining us on Prison Monologues. Uh, I've been looking forward to this conversation for quite a while. I didn't forget that beer, uh, Professor. Oh, no, 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 no. It's it's, it's there as soon as... Unfortunately, the place that I usually go to, they're closed right now, but maybe yeah. Gephardt's... Matt Gephardt, who is the owner, he'll, um, he'll be back in business soon. Summertime. Summertime, summertime. summertime. Right. Watch some Peter, go watch some Peter Laurie movies. At <laughs> M, right, right. My my students are watching it now. <laughs> you remember? Thank yeah. you, Charles. Okay, and now. thank you, Richard. Thanks for having me. All right, sure. Right. Thanks for having me too. We'll, we'll, we'll talk again okay. soon. Okay, bye bye. Okay, bye. bye.